15. The Invented Indian Most people know, or did a generation or two ago, that the peoples of the Americas were called Indians because Columbus thought he had reached India. At one time, no American native considered himself an Indian. He was an Abenaki, a Cherokee, an Iroquois, an Aztec, Maya, Paiute, Shoshone, or some other kind of person. These peoples did not call themselves tribes. Like the term Indian, the word tribe was alien to them. It came from the Bible. At present, the, quote, American Indian, unquote, makes much of that term and uses it to promote special rights and privileges. But the term is part of the modern humanistic remaking of a people to fit into a worldview which idealizes, quote, primitive peoples, unquote, and sees them as representing the best in human history. As noted, the term Indian properly referred to the people of India. A few Paiutes and Shoshones who had visited cities where Indians from India lived were either amused or offended at the thought of being likened to them. The East Indians, themselves a diverse people, are the antithesis of the American, quote, Indians, unquote, and the thought of being lumped under the same name was sometimes offensive to American Indians, as it may have been to East Indians as well. The gratuitous assumption that all of the peoples of the Americas can be lumped under a common name is an unwarranted one, and in earlier years gave some offense. It was comparable to calling a Frenchman or a Spaniard a German simply because a common continent and, quote, whiteness, unquote, marked them. The Indians identified themselves in my days as Shoshone, Paiute, Pima, and so on, although amongst themselves each saw themselves as the people. This is not a trivial point. American natives did not share a common culture, nor were their lives static. The rise of the Aztecs shattered the lives of the other peoples of Mexico, and Cortez was their deliverer from Aztec human sacrifice and cannibalism. Those, quote, tribes, unquote, which first acquired horses devastated those who were able to go from what is now Nevada to the Great Plains to hunt buffalo, dry the meat, and then return home. These trips, as Louis Dave told me, were dangerous and difficult. Other Indians could cause serious problems. Though the hunt was for stragglers in the herds, usually old or pregnant buffalo cows, the buffalo themselves were dangerous. Some people were friendlier to whites than to other Indian groups, for the simple reason that they did not identify with anyone racially, but in terms of whatever advantage they might gain in dealing with them. Racial identifications were invented by the white man. In the earlier days, intermarriage was not seen as demeaning to the white man. There is another fact of some importance. The white American of my boyhood was a very different person than the American of today. The change in the national character from 1922 to 1992 is a dramatic one. White Americans have remade themselves into another kind of people. The same is true of the Indian. In my day, it was still white Christian America that was the norm. The Paiute or Shoshone might sometimes react against that norm, but he still recognized it as dominant. Since then, statist education has dramatically altered and remade white and black Americans and Indians as well. The humanistic view of the, quote, primitive Indian, unquote, and the ideas of Rousseau have reshaped the Indian image of himself and his past. Consequently, all groups in America are guilty of mythical thinking about themselves and about one another. I mentioned earlier the sadness of the older Indians at their grandchildren's radical disinterest in the Paiute Shoshone pasts. It was not because the elders idealized their past, but simply a desire that their lives and struggles be known and understood. The children, however, preferred the popular American culture and whatever the state schools taught them about themselves. Few white Americans know their great-grandparents' names or where they lived. The same was true of the Paiute and Shoshone children. Where and how their great-grandparents lived was of no interest to them. The school basketball game was far more important. 
Like their white counterparts, they were implicit existentialists. Only the moment was real. This practical existentialism is basic to the fact that American Indians, like their white counterparts, live in a world of myths about themselves. The realities of their past are of no concern to them, because myths are more in tune with the existential moment. Since I had read all that I could find in the University of California at Berkeley library stacks on Paiutes and Shoshones, I found that I knew more about these people than their younger generation did. Still, I could not interest the young in their past. The popular culture of the American scene, liquor and sex, were of more concern to them. These are the same concerns that mark white American youth, and this should not surprise us. Quote, whites, unquote, and quote, Indians, unquote, have shared a country and a common history for a few hundred years, although much less in the American West. However often isolated from one another physically, the cultural influences have been similar. Some children from strong Christian families have been able to resist the existentialist currents of the 20th century, but all still live in a common culture and world, and the effect on all has been destructive. Because only the moment is real for existentialism, it has given us a fictional world, an invented past, an invented American, quote, white, unquote, man, and an invented, quote, Indian, unquote. As a result, people know little about either their or the Indian's past.